In the summer of 1992, director Cameron Crowe released his second film, Singles. It was a love letter to the city of Seattle and its grunge scene. While the film was somewhat forgettable, the soundtrack featured some of the biggest stars of the music industry at that point. Not you, Paul Westerberg. <laughs> yeah. Unreleased tracks by Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden cemented this collection as a staple of music collections in the early 90s. It went on to sell 2 million copies in the U.S. Included in this superb collection is a riff-laden rock song by Screaming Trees, Nearly Lost You. The track contains everything that made grunge music great. Distorted power chords, a soaring guitar melody, crashing drums. What really stands out, though, is the low vocal growl of frontman Mark Lanigan, a singular voice in the Seattle scene. His sound and tone were a departure from the scream-like styles of Kurt Cobain and Chris Cornell. By the time Screaming Trees released their sixth album, Sweet Oblivion, three months after the release of the single soundtrack, Nearly Lost You was already a modern rock radio success. Last month, we sadly lost Mark Lanigan at age 57. As perhaps the most prolific songwriter of the grunge era, his legacy will live on for years to come. Today on Hidden Jukebox, Screaming Trees nearly lost you. Okay, a few things. First off, how dare you call this movie forgettable? I, I knew the second that I wrote it. See, the problem is that for you and me, you you said you've probably seen this movie 30 times. Yeah. I would not be surprised if my count is even more than yeah. that. So for you and me, it's like, no, it's the most memorable movie maybe yeah, out of all the universally movies Universally acclaimed seen. as Cameron Crowe's best movie. But, but you meet anybody born after about 1988. <laughs> And they say, of course, I've never heard of it. We once we once made uh, my other podcast, Spilled Milk, our producer, Abby, who's like 10 years younger than us, uh, uh, watch singles. And she's like, I've never heard of this movie. It was cute. Now I'm never going to think about it again. Now, now finish your your thought here on my uh, well-written intro. And then I want to mention something else about singles. Uh, This song does not contain power chords, as far as I can tell. And now we know that Jake doesn't play guitar yeah that that's fair enough it's not like i went in and went well maybe i better try to learn this song which i sometimes do but i really don't play guitar people always assume that because i'm a bassist i'm a guitar player too and if i had tried to figure this out on guitar i probably would have started with power chords um yeah i i also i did sit down and play the song on guitar which is very fun to play it's the kind of song where uh you you start thinking like it would be you could do some really cool stuff on guitar if you had six fingers People people do assume because I play guitar that I can play bass, probably because I keep saying yes when people ask me to play bass. And then every time I'm like, why did I do that? I don't know how to play bass. I recently started working on playing bass with a pick after, and this is hard to say since it's my 42nd birthday, playing bass for almost 30 years now. Yeah, happy birthday, Jake. Thanks. Um, it is very difficult to learn. And every time I tell a fellow bassist that I'm learning how to play with a pick, like the, traitor. The, it's it's either traitor or it's why on earth would you do that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question, but I am going to go back to singles really quick. Yeah, and and on a side note, uh, mention that on the God, it must have been the 25th anniversary of singles release. This really weird guy who had become kind of pseudo popular online. Yes, I know what you're going to say. Planned this <laughs> singles anniversary party where he was going to hook up 
a small TV and a VHS player in the courtyard of the apartments that singles took place at and invite everybody in Seattle to watch a VHS version of singles, which he still owned on a small TV. And we quickly found out that he didn't know anybody in the building and hadn't got permission from anybody. (laughs) And without, I didn't realize that part of the story. I figured he had gotten permission, but then it got out of hand. It it never happened because (laughs) multiple people who lived there got together and without, actually hiring a lawyer to do a cease and desist basically wrote their own cease and desist that said we will call the police if anybody shows up to our house and starts watching singles in our courtyard but if you want to watch another movie like if you want to watch hunt for red october in our courtyard that's fine it's we, just we fucking hate singles we, we're all big sean connery fans though <laughs> I did not realize until until you put it in the in the introduction. This part is true that it was the second movie that he directed. I did not know that. Yeah, he. I, I figured I, this was going to be like like number six or something. No, I mean, it's. I don't think it's widely known. Although after he did almost famous, people who did any sort of research would have realized that it's semi autobiographical, and in his teens. He got a job writing for Rolling Stone and was a music writer for years before he decided to start directing movies. Right. Because uh, he was he worked with it was a friend of my friend, Jan Uhelski, who was one of the founders of Cream magazine. Right. And and so like he had a career for years before even starting to direct movies. But he got started in his first career at such a young age that uh, he wound up Sorry. with a second career. Sorry, Matthew's got visitors. Sorry, that was a bunch of people uh, showing up to watch singles at my apartment. <laughs> uh, well, you got to find some place to do it these days. Um, so Say Anything, his first movie, came out in 1989, and then he took a three-year break. And really, you look at his uh, directing credits, he only has 17 of them, and some of those are like... TV series, some of those are documentaries. He's only made like six, maybe seven movies. And one of them is We Bought a Zoo. That is absolutely true. I did not know that. That I had no idea that was a Cameron Crowe movie. I'd love to talk about that movie, but unfortunately, like everybody else listening right now, I I never saw it. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) I hear it's Matt Damon's absolute greatest performance besides Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Uh, which I think I think is going to come up on this episode again. Probably. Um, okay, so I first encountered Screaming Trees, as usual, on 120 Minutes uh, when they played the Bed of Roses video, which was from their previous album, uh, Uncle Anesthesia, Correct. which has, like, one of the most, like, best weirder rock album covers ever. It's just like, now it's I like a... look this up. Yeah, you should look at it. It's like, like my, friend, my friend paints weird paintings. Let's put that on the cover. It's great. Oh, yeah. Right? It almost looks like a Tool album cover. Or Silkworm. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was very much the style at the time. For some reason, even though I really liked the song Bed of Roses and I really liked the song Nearly Lost You, I never got into Screaming Trees, and I don't have any explanation for that. Well, one of the things that we're going to mention here, and we might as well mention it now, is... I said in the intro, Mark Lanigan has a singular voice. Yeah. That is somewhat untrue if I add this second thing in, which is he's very Tom Waits-esque. Yeah. And Tom Waits is, to me, a acquired taste. You meet people who think that he is like God walking on Earth, and then you meet people who say, I don't get it. 
Is it just that you think I prefer singers with a high voice, which could, could be correct? I, I, I'm not even implying that. I'm just implying that I think that Screaming Trees are kind of an acquired taste, and yeah. so much of their sound is based on the tonality of his voice that, like, like they don't do 20 different things, and you listen to their entire catalog and it's not like they had their REM phase and their screamo right. phase. They always were screaming trees. Although they released album, their first album was like eighty six, something like that. Yeah. They, they were only together from eighty four to two thousand. Well, not only that's sixteen years, but they're one of these bands that you know grunge comes along, and all of a sudden, I kind of lumped them in with Mud Honey, where it's like people definitely knew who they were. They definitely were not Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, right. Pearl Jam, Nirvana. Although you you say that, but like you know, of course, I went back and listened to the single soundtrack, which I do several times a month. Um, <laughs> Alice in Chains, that that those are some weird singers. Like they're fantastic. Like never were two people more made to sing together than Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley. But like they're they're like droney, <laughs> um, like. You know the the fact that those that those guys and particularly Lane Staley became like superstar singers like that's kind of weird too. It is kind of weird, and and I said when uh, Allison Chains reformed years after Lane Staley died, this is never going to work with another singer because they worked so well together in terms of their harmonies, and then they hire this unknown guy William Duvall and. It's still just killer, yeah. which which shows how much of that writing was Jerry Cantrell and how smart he is in terms of of harmonies. But I think it also shows that I don't know anything about William Duvall, but I would bet money that he is a guy who grew up listening to and singing along with Alice in Chains every day of his young life. And this, this has been our episode about Alice in Chains. <laughs> OK, <laughs> but to your point. So usually, as you know, because Jake always mentions it, I, I usually will uh, will sing along with the song that we're doing and uh, send send Jake a clip of me like yowling uh, to it. I couldn't even do that with this song because either you sound like Mark Lanigan or you don't. It's not something you learn to do. I, I don't think I don't even think that's true. You just don't sound like Mark. Right. <laughs> like, unless you're Tom Waits. Unless you're well. Tom Waits would take offense to that. I think he'd say that Mark Lanigan sounds, sounds like, like Tom right. Waits, not vice versa. Um, so yeah, uh, Screaming Trees uh, made, I think, eight albums. That um, sounds right. And six EPs. And Mark Lanigan made 12 albums on his own starting in 1990 when Screaming Trees were still together. So when I say that he was prolific, this guy, compared to the rest of the famous grunge bands oh, grunge yes. singers just continued to put out a wide wide swath of music like it, it's incredible how much there is out there and i think that 12 doesn't even count the three albums that he made with isabel campbell formerly of bell and sebastian i don't know um but those albums are really interesting they really are like, yes like Two people who you would never think of singing or writing music together, and it works really, really well. Yeah, but I think, I yeah, like people like this, like Mark Lanigan or like the guy from Guided by Voices who just like cannot stop writing and recording songs, like are just a gift to humanity, I think. Which is why we decided to do this song this month, and it is 
really tragic when we lose any singer songwriter who's left behind a legacy of great music and somebody as young as Mark Lanigan was only 57 years old. He, he was still writing like he was yeah, still do- absolutely. He, he had started writing books too. I mean, this guy was, was just incredibly prolific and uh, one thing I want to mention is uh, Screaming Trees and Mark Lanigan, like a lot of American artists for some reason, were very, very popular in Europe. Okay, that makes sense. So I, uh, on and off for years, kept winding up playing gigs with this guy from Seattle, Jeff Fielder. Not in bands, like his one of his bands would wind up playing with one of my bands. So we'd constantly cross paths. I feel like I know who that is. He is, is the right word omnipresent in the city? Okay. Like, like he's he's in everybody's band. All he, right. He's currently in Amy Ray from the Indigo Girls band. <laughs> okay, there it Um And was doing that at the same time that he was in Mark Lanigan's solo band. And he did Mark Lanigan's solo band for about 12 years. He somehow knew Isabel Campbell, who hooked him up with Mark Lanigan. And uh, so I would see these pictures and videos of him playing with, with Lanigan in Europe and they would have these packed rooms of people. That's awesome. And then they would they would come back here and play like a 200-person room right. and barely fill it up. He was very, very popular over there. Um, and it made me think about uh, th- this movie that came out probably 15 years ago now called Dig. It is a documentary about... Uh, the Dandy Warhols and the Brian Jonestown right. Massacre. Right. Okay. I was like, I, this is not the same as the movie Hype, but it's nope. but it's it's better also than a the music movie documentary. Hype. Okay. Much better. Did you ever see this movie? No, I haven't. Oh my god, it is so great. So it's somehow that this documentary filmmaker started filming both bands when they were coming up in the '90s, and the movie is kind of about how. Brian Jonestown Massacre were always a giant train wreck and Dandy Warhols were workaholics who slowly climbed their way to the top, especially in Europe where they were playing these massive festivals and Brian Jonestown Massacre were their own worst enemy and would have one night where they played the greatest show of all time and then the next night would totally implode. Were these were these bands like like uh did they know each other and they like would, had a rivalry? They would play together all the time. Okay. They didn't have a rivalry, they had a friendship. Would you say a long time ago they used to be friends? <laughs> I I feel like that's a, a reference to the Veronica Mars. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yes, with the Veronica Mars theme song performed by the performed Dandy Warhols. Performed by the Dandy yeah. Warhols. I'm like, I, I never get your inside jokes like that. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really proud, proud of myself of right now. Um, so, so <laughs> Jeff, um, forgive me. I tried to get his permission on this, and he never wrote me back. But uh, he's as a member of his solo band, like he had a lot of exposure to Mark Lanigan. Uh, in his final 10 years and what he said about him was mark is an artist in the classic sense as in no shits given about what you think he should do or anything really and then brilliant on top of that and then unique on top of that and then hard to get along with sure and add one of the most incredible soulful and haunting voices of this or any era an artist the likes of which we won't see again in our lifetime not sure the universe would allow it i know there are people who have known that for years, 
but it always felt very underground to us by design. Maybe he'll get his due by and by. Yeah, it's it. It, it kind of speaks to the fact that Screaming Trees were another one of those bands like Mud Honey, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Right. Like like somebody who continued to do it and. You you can't say he wasn't not famous, but I'm not sure if I had walked into a coffee shop in 2015 and Mark Lanigan was sitting there that I would have said, "Holy shit, it's Mark Lanigan." Yeah, I don't I don't know that I would recognize him either. Um, I mean, I, I I remember like at the time, uh, like wondering like which of these bands was going to break out next because I remember like all of a sudden like it was Soundgarden's turn. And then all of a sudden it was Alice in Chains' turn, possibly the other way around. Um, and uh, and then thinking, oh, like, is, is Mud Honey or Screaming Trees going to, like, suddenly become the biggest band in America? And they did not. There, There is a Mud Honey documentary about sure. exactly that. That's that's great. I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's really great. Um, now, prior to researching this episode... If I had asked you if you saw Screaming Trees live, what would your answer have been? It would have been no. <laughs> and you would have been wrong. Okay. I, I think you've mentioned this a bunch of times. And I forget every time. So, so tell me again. So so I was lucky enough to start seeing concerts what I think is as early on in my lifetime. I started seeing rock concerts when I was 13, and I, I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I talked to other people and... They say, oh, my God, my parents never would have let me go to shows in middle school. So I know that my first concert was August 10th, 1993, and that was Aerosmith with Jackal opening, which you took me to. Yes, I do remember that. Jackal. I totally forgot Jackal existed with a Y, right? Oh, yeah. Lumberjack song. (laughs) Yes. Fantastic. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Why why haven't we done that on this show yet? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But... But then uh, six days later on on August 16th, 1993, you took uh, my twin Ben and myself to see Spin Doctors, Soul Asylum, Screaming Trees, which at the time didn't seem like a strange bill at all. But you say it out loud now and go, was it outdoors? It was. It was at Portland Meadows outdoors. And (laughs) I, I remember asking a girl out that I really liked who also came with us. Nice. right next to the porta potties while Ben was going to the bathroom. It's one of the most romantic memories I have of my life. Oh, lifetime. wait, so you didn't ask her to come to the thing. You asked her out while you were at the thing. Correct. Okay. It, it wasn't like uh, I had this whole thing planned. It was like, uh, right now by the porta potties is as good a time as any to ask this girl out because I'm 13 and I have no clue what I'm doing here. What did she say? Yes. Nice. Um, okay, I, yeah, I, I only remember spin doctors from that show for some reason. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Because, because of the roundhouse kicks that uh, Chris Barron would do on stage? I don't I don't even remember that. I, I do know that that I, I was. <laughs> would he kick other people in the band or just the air? No, but I did. I did get. Um, I, I won't say severely injured because 13 year olds are made of rubber, <laughs> yeah. but sh- should have died at that show because ev- every show uh, back in those days, uh, you crowd surfed like. Yeah, like. You could go and see Mazzy Star Absolutely and, and, and crowd surf at Mazzy Star. So spin doctors are on stage and I'm like, guys, lift me up. I'm crowd surfing. And I just picture it as like 
falling onto a parachute that everybody's holding onto. <laughs> and instead, I, I go straight over the guy's head behind me and land headfirst on the ground. Yeah, it's hard to catch a person. <laughs> oh, and, and I stand right up and I'm, and I'm like, let's go again. And I think about it now. I'm like... I can't believe I didn't break my neck. Um, yeah, no, like I, I almost died at a uh, Sunday's concert. Um, have you read Dave Grohl's book, uh, The Storyteller? Not yet, and I hear it's great. It's it's really good. It's it's very light, but he he talks a lot about all of the uh, the horrifying injuries he got as a as a young boy. That he just like you know sort of bounced off the floor, having to do with rock shows or not having to no, do with rock no, not having shows. to do with rock shows. But then, but then there was the time he broke his leg at a Foo Fighters con, like during a Foo Fighters concert, and and like finished the show. Right, and they made him a rock throne that he performed yes. for, from because he's so the show must go on type yep. of guy that they didn't even cancel any shows. He just played half a tour with a broken leg, and I can't remember if it was that. Axl Rose had broken his leg recently and gave his chair to Dave Grohl or vice versa. But one way or another, Axl Rose and Dave Grohl used the same rock throne on stage when both of them broke their legs within six months of each other. But what did they do when they did their, like, you know, dueling pianos tour? <laughs> I didn't even know either of them play piano. That's amazing. Axel Rose oh, definitely wait a minute, plays wait a minute. piano. I, I, I forgot about the November Rain <laughs> right. video. My bad. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, he's got a big white grand piano that he takes with him everywhere he goes. <laughs> um, okay, so Singles is definitely my favorite soundtrack album. What are some other favorite soundtrack albums? Well, you made a list, and uh, there are some soundtracks on there that I'm like, yeah, but there are things that you left off there that I was like, how could you leave this off? Yeah. Specifically, Dazed and Confused. And maybe that's just because of the age that I am. But I asked uh, girlfriend Lori last night, shout out girlfriend Lori, what her uh, soundtracks were. And without this, obviously. Titanic, the, the best okay, selling yeah, one yeah. of all time. Um, but. Instantly, she said, "Days confused." What's on that? Like, I think of it as being like, like, and I and I mean this term with love, like seventies butt rock songs that I that I just got enough of growing up. There were not that it's not that it's bad by any means. There were so many songs in in that movie that there were actually two Days and Confused soundtracks. They okay. they released one called Even More Days and Confused. Uh, Rick Derringer, Alice Cooper, ZZ Top, Ted Nugent. Uh, Leonard Skinner, Kiss, so, Foghat. Yeah, you're this right. This is stuff that I want to listen to on classic rock radio. Yes, and what's what's funny is I look at the list of songs and I go, God, those are all songs that I hit the next button on nowadays. Yeah, but in context to the movie, oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's, great movie. It's I like think. it remi- <laughs> it's it reminds me of these amazing scenes it's a great movie i loved that movie uh recently on jeopardy the final jeopardy correct response was what is all right all right all right (laughs) it's it's what you feel when you're not feeling good 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 exactly um so so my other response is forrest gump sure the big chill yep Across the Universe, which is a very interesting soundtrack if you've never heard it. I, I don't even think I know what the movie is. The movie is kind of this artsy, uh, like based loosely around the Beatles song uh-huh. Love Story. The movie isn't very good, but the soundtrack is a lot of people covering Beatles songs in not Beatles style fashion. It's very interesting. 
Um, and then I was going to okay. say, say Garden State, which is mainly known for launching the Shins career, but is a great soundtrack. Start oh, absolutely. Finish. Okay, so mine, uh, Goodwill Hunting. I don't really know if that counts because it's mostly Elliot Smith songs that you've heard elsewhere, but is very good. Uh, the Commitments. Yes, love it. Uh, I think my definitely my second favorite soundtrack after singles is the soundtrack to the movie Angus. I do not know what this movie is. I've never seen it. I could not tell you one thing about it, but it has an awesome indie rock soundtrack that we listen to all the time in college. I don't think my friend Ryan and I, I don't think he saw the movie either, but it had like Weezer, The Muffs, Smoking Popes, uh, Ash. Uh, who else? The Goo Goo Dolls. The Goo Goo Dolls. Um. I remember this movie. I saw it once. Okay. I feel like there was this uh like influx of coming of age films sure. in in the like mid to late 90s early 2000s where it was like, "Oh, people will actually go and see this shit. We should make more of it." So, I talk to people who are like, "Oh, you know what a great great movie is? Reality Bites." Oh, I you, did see that. You know what a great great movie is? Empire Records. <laughs> Haven't seen it. Reality Bites is not, not a good a movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> not a good movie at all. I bet it has a pretty good soundtrack, though. But, like, uh, uh, what was... Oh, Juno. Juno's yeah. a great movie. I like Juno, uh, yeah. It's a great coming-of-age movie, and there were a lot of movies like that, and Angus was one of those, and it was not very good. Yeah, okay. But excellent soundtrack. I think that's how I first heard The Muffs, who are one of my all-time favorite bands. Really great band. Um, we should talk a little more about the song before we finish this episode about the song, <laughs> Nearly Lost You. I feel like we never do this. <laughs> talk about the song? No, not talk about yeah. the song. That, that's pretty much what this whole show is, is, is bringing up a song and then not talking about it at all. Okay, because <laughs> uh, I I did listen to the song a bunch of times this week and like, tried to, to listen closely. And it is it's a fun... like. Even though it is, it's like a song about like being dragged back down into the world of addiction. It is a fun song musically, and part of that is like it's got an intro that is like it's cheeky. I would say like they're winking at you, like check out this rock intro we did that is very clearly influenced by immigrant song. Yeah, which I didn't think of until you said that, and then I'm like, Right. Um, they, you know, they, they never really leaned into like the like punk and metal side of grunge. They were very uh, like classic rock and blues influenced. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what the guitar playing on any Screaming Trees album is all about. And it's done really well. And and if you listen to Lanigan's solo stuff, it's all very, very bluesy. He does yeah. a lot of slow stuff. And so you can see where Screaming Trees was getting a lot of that. Um, it's very riff laden. Like this song has not a lot of focus on the chorus or on the verses. And in fact, there's really only two verses because the third verse is just a repeat of the first verse. And there are only two lines and the rest of the song is just the chorus. Yeah, that's true. And it's very singable. Um, yeah, it really, it, it doesn't make me wait like my favorite songs, but it, it gets right to the point. And yeah, you're right. That, that like, let's just kind of like, like drip some riffs off of everything is a very Screaming Trees thing. Like it's not, not a very grunge thing in general. No. And, and I like songwriting like that because it, it takes everybody working together. Like, like it, 
it's so much based off of like where the hits come in and how the riff plays that somebody can't just be like muddling around in quarter notes at the bottom. Like everybody's right. got to be on point. The the drummer can't just be playing a backbeat. Like he's got to be doing these hits with the guitar and everything. It's it's a you know a call and response model. I think like they is like answering the verse. Yeah. Well, and and like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Uh, Screaming Trees had a great guitar player. Um, God, what was his name? Was he Gary Lee Connor? I think that's right. Yeah. Or uh, Van Connor was the other one. Yep. Yeah. Probably not related at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just coincidence. <laughs> uh, so they had great guitar playing and and that was sometimes uncommon in grunge music. Like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Like you don't really talk about Kurt Cobain in terms of his guitar playing. Yeah, I think I think he's like there's been kind of a reassessment in the last maybe 10 years of like giving giving Kurt Cobain his due as a guitar player. But like as you know, as like a uh, not not like textural element, but like, you know, of, of doing like a very specific thing within a specific box and doing that in the way the song needed. Whereas like I think. You know, Gary Lee Connor, if that's the correct Connor brother, could, uh, you know, could jump into any band and play excellent lead guitar. Right. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I always get it wrong. Do you pron- pronounce it Josh Hom or Josh Homme? I think Homme. Um, from Queens of the Stone Age, joined uh, as a touring guitarist for the Screaming Trees for a short time in 1996, which then led uh, Mark Lanigan to be a member on and off of Queens of the Stone Age, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize how long it was. I thought it was for a couple songs, but on and off for 14 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, which which is pretty crazy. Josh Tommy, also a very good guitar player. Great guitar player. Um, I've seen... Uh, Queens of the Stone Age a couple times, and I got to see them Crooked Vultures, mm-hmm. which was him, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl and John Paul Jones, yes. is that right? Yes, and Alan Johannes on second guitar, who's phenomenal in his own right. That that was my favorite thing about the Dave Grohl book, is that like he's still clearly like amazed that he gets to meet and work with people like John Paul Jones and Paul McCartney, and just like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know why I've been thinking about this lately, but why... Not why. How does somebody like Dave Grohl never get cited on the street? I I think he probably does. I mean, do you mean, just mean you haven't run into him? Well, well, I I definitely have not. You're absolutely like, right. Like but, the time I ran into um uh the guy from uh, Billy Joe Armstrong outside the Pagliacci on Broadway. <laughs> is is that true? That's hundred like percent true. The guy from Green Day. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Uh, no, like you never like see viral photos of him like at a club or like look who who was getting coffee in front of me this morning it's like he disappears into a cave until it's time to put on a rock show i've never seen like the dave grohl in the wild picture video you think maybe he's a robot and he's just he's only programmed to rock it's really weird because (laughs) you'd think like this guy would get invited to parties all the time or or like he seems like he's like man of the people. Oh yeah, and they that you'd see him out all the time, but you never see people post photos with this guy. I've never noticed this, and I have a feeling if we Google it, we're going to find a lot of photos of people with Dave Grohl. Yeah, so, somebody write to me and be like, "Here's here's a picture of me with Dave Grohl last week." You're completely wrong. Because yeah, this is this is a pretty strong take, and I'm I'm curious to see how this turns out. So one of our many listeners, please get in touch. <laughs> 
anything else that you have to say about Screaming Trees or Nearly Lost to you? Um, I don't think so. Like, I think I want to go back and listen to uh, the album before this one, uh, which was the one that I first heard on 120 Minutes, because I bet there are other songs on it I would like. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. We'll see. Oh, man, there's a great picture of him at the beach on here. Dave Grohl? Yeah, yeah. Or I... Because when you said that, I was like, I, was, I thought maybe you meant Mark Lanigan. It's really hard to imagine Mark Lanigan at the beach. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he did go to the beach. Now, but now, like, now I'm picturing Mark Lanigan and Tom Waits hanging out in I, like Shay's lounges together and mm-hmm. like sipping Mai Tais, being like, how have you been? Oh, I've been good. <laughs> how have you been? When do you think Tad is going to make it big? Uh, I'm still waiting, but... Uh, no offense to Tad Doyle, but talk about one of the guys who I thought would would not still be alive. Oh, and yeah. is still alive. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Yeah, like like the guy seemed to have a death wish for a while, but I think he's doing good. Good. Yeah. Uh, what are you listening to? Um, I have what I think is a good habit of uh, <laughs> some people. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't see cocaine. how anybody could call it unhealthy. Of. When I buy tickets to a concert, I go back and try and listen to anything that I haven't listened to by the artist. <laughs> that's funny that you mention that because I have tickets to see Guided by Voices next week. Oh my God, they, that's overwhelming. They've made 36 albums. I'm not going to go back and listen yeah, to all of them. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, like, it's like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard I'm seeing in October. They've only been around for 12 years and they have something like 25 albums. Yeah. It's like, where do you even start? Just go and see the show live. But I saw... Uh, the dip last week mm-hmm. uh, or the week before who were really, really great. And uh, I tried this week to get tickets to see Odessa. Okay. I don't know if you even know who Odessa is. I know Odessa as someone who can headline a local festival and I don't know who they are. They are playing a show with um, somebody pseudo famous opening up, but not like, oh, this is going to sell a lot of tickets. They sold out Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, which holds 20,000 people, in five minutes. So they added a second show the next night, and it sold out in five minutes. Wow. So they added a third show on Sunday night. It did not sell out in five minutes, but is mostly sold. I don't go out on Sunday nights, but I I fell flat on my face trying to get tickets to this show. But I've gone back. <laughs> like, and, like when you stage dived at that, at that Spin Doctors concert. Yeah, I... I but, you know, sometimes you got to get back up and try and ride the crowd yeah. again. So we'll get back to it. But I've I've gone back and started listening to their three albums that they've put out. And it's interesting because you hear it and it does not sound like arena music. But every word that you read about these guys, it says they put on one of the best live shows you will ever see. Who would you compare them to? Um, They are like down tempo electronic music. OK, so that's kind of what I guess. So like. They're not like this, but the first band that pops into my head is Air. Okay. Um, but like I went and saw Tame Impala last summer, mm-hmm. and I l- love, love, love Tame Impala. But you listen to the music and you're like, yeah, that'd be a good show. And they melted my face off. Yeah. It was one of the most amazing live shows I've ever seen. So, so when people say Odessa is a group that you have to see live, it's on the list. Okay. What about you? Uh, I've been listening to uh, the Lightning One and Two, the new uh, Arcade Fire single. 
when, and I'm very excited because these are good songs, and I thought their last album was not good. Um, Just like everybody else. And uh, so I, I'm hoping this one's going to be good. Um, and I've also been listening to The Minders Psychedelic Blacktop. The Minders are an Elephant Six band who made the album Hooray for Tuesday in uh, 1998. And uh, like, if, if you've heard of anything by The Minders, which you probably haven't, it would be that. They are still at it, kind of just doing the same thing as ever. And, uh, and they're really uh, nice folks. And they, and they write good songs. I feel like I saw them open up for somebody years ago. Probably. Uh, but I cannot remember who it is. Um, the Lightning 1 and 2, I did not listen to yet because, uh, unfortunately, I decided to listen to the new Muse album when I had a minute or Muse song when I <laughs> had right, a minute let's yesterday. talk about the new Muse singles. Uh, <laughs> l- let's be honest here. Not good. Not not good. But... Re- really, really not good. L- like, it, I, I want it to be good so bad, just like I wanted the last Arcade Fire album to be yeah. good. And it just wasn't like it's the it's what is the sound of of trying so hard. Thank you. That is exactly what I thought. Like halfway through the song, I'm like, this just feels like they're going. Here is what people not want, but need to hear from us. Yeah, we have to do it this way. And I I thought their previous album, the kind of disco-y previous album, I, I liked it. Yeah. So maybe the rest of the album will be good. I don't know. Maybe the rest of the Arcade Fire album won't be good. We don't know. Oh, yet. that would be that would be an interesting result if it turned out the Muse album was great and the Arcade Fire album was terrible. Yeah. Who knows? Um by the way, the the opener for Odessa is Sylvanesso. Okay, I've heard that name as well. I um, don't, don't not know the same type of music at all, but somebody who I'd like to see. Um I have a couple ideas for songs for next time. Let's let's do this right now. Did this did this happen to be Jackal, uh, the the lumberjack that, song? There's no way that's from the '90s, is it? We saw the band in 1993, and that was their big hit, which was why they were opening for Aerosmith. Wow, I'm sure the lumberjack. Ha- I didn't realize that could still happen well, in 1993. I, I, mean, I thought that had been that type of music had just been like cleared out like an enema. Do I have that wrong? The I lumberjack song is a Monty Python song. Well, <sighs> No, it is called the Lumberjack song, and it's famous because the guy played the guitar with a drill, and everyone went, holy shit, he's playing a guitar with a drill. Like, is that all it takes? Can you still become famous? Like, like what if I what if I played a guitar with like a, a bandsaw on YouTube? You would cut the guitar in half, and then you'd cut into your body. It's a terrible idea. But it could be a, a viral video. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, three three options. Uh Depeche Mode, enjoy the silence. Oh, I love that song. Okay, uh, Elliot Smith, do you want to do an Elliot Smith song, or do you, do we have to wait and do a whole album? Um, I would really love to do all of EXO. All right, um, and uh, yeah, th- that's it. So let's do enjoy the silence. Okay. Did you did you find out what year the Lumberjack song is from? Nineteen ninety two. So weird. <laughs> yep. I, I I well now I have to know what your guess was going to be. It was going to be like eighty eight. The, there's a huge gap between 88 and 92. <laughs> I don't know. Like my timeline is all wrong. But... I, I mean, Boys to Men came out during that that four year span, so music definitely changed in between 88 and 92. Which, which Boys to Men song should we do on the show? Oh my god, is there any other song besides End of the Road? What, and what was that 90s? It was, which, it was all. Which reminds me, it, it was either 
two or three episodes ago, I was trying to think of the most meta song of all time and couldn't get it while we were recording. And it, and was, it was Motown yeah. Philly. Yeah. It, yeah. it is a Correct. song about becoming famous after going to school together and being kids and and uh, starting group. And here we are kicking it just for you. And it actually happened to them. And we talk about how it's how it's the same premise as Rock and Roll Band by Boston. Right? Yes. Okay. Well, okay. I mentioned that that's a very meta song, right. but not even as meta as Motown Philly. OK, true. Uh, you can find us at hiddenjukebox.com, uh, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, uh, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden on all of your favorite streaming platforms. And until next time, enjoy the silence. <laughs> I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Oh, and I'm Jake Amster.